Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. My guest today is Matthew Benson, co-founder and CEO of eFuse. eFuse is emerging as the LinkedIn for gamers. Matt is also a 30 under 30 and has gained the attention of many people in the esports space who are backing him. He's got an exciting story. Let's talk to Matt. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Matt Benson, founder and CEO of eFuse, one of my favorite platforms. I'm super excited to talk to you today and share all of what eFuse is doing currently and going to be doing. Welcome to the DLC Drop Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited to be here. It's been a long time coming, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like I know a lot of people around you, a lot of the people who work with you, Patrick Klein, Neil Duffy. uh, A lot of troublemakers. They sure are. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's the company I keep for better or for worse, I guess. (laughs) But, you know, I've got a profile on eFuse. I do need to fill that out a little more robustly as I've, you know, don't have a lot of extra time on my hands. But what I want to start out with here is why don't you tell our audience, what is eFuse? Yeah, so in short, eFuse is a, a network of gamers, a LinkedIn of sorts for gamers where you can come meet, compete, and be discovered. So I, I won't get too far into the backstory quite yet, but our whole goal is to allow you as a gamer to come onto the platform, build out the profile that you were just mentioning, leak your game stats, upload your highlight clips. And then use that that profile to network with other gamers, but also find different types of opportunities. So for some people, that could be a tournament on the weekend. For others, that could be a scholarship. And maybe for some who are no not any good at video games like myself, but love it, uh, it could be getting a job in the industry. So ultimately, we want you to come on the platform, meet, compete, be discovered, and use that profile to connect with others and with opportunities. Cool. So what I love about that is that you are you're kind of targeting the entire ecosystem from a gamer standpoint, right? We haven't seen historically that there's this path to pro that we see in traditional sports. I love LinkedIn personally because I'm talking to a lot of people who know nothing about esports. <laughs> right. But I think when you're you're talking to like-minded folks, uh, there's a joke on, you know, Discord and Twitter about I think LinkedIn was down the other day and people were like, "How am I going to learn about esports <laughs> from the consultants if LinkedIn is down, right?" So it's a little bit of an eye roll there. And it sounds like what you've done is you've given, you know, by gamers for gamers, you've, you've given our community our own platform, which is something the community really responds to. A hundred percent. I think there is a place for LinkedIn, right? I think individuals like you and I who are business professionals in the game ecosystem, there's a place for us to go on LinkedIn and network with others who aren't necessarily in the ecosystem, brands, other business professionals, other technology companies. But what we really try to be different is, is to take out all that noise that's not anything but gaming and focus on that core competency of gamers in the gaming community and allow people that may not be comfortable on LinkedIn to come onto our platform and, and network with those that are like-minded towards them. Right. And then you also have, you're doing quite a few events as well, right? You're doing Women of the Arena. You're doing some other things. Talk a little bit about these events that you're doing for the community as well. Yeah. So when we think about the platform, again, it's kind of a two-sided marketplace, right? So on one end, you've got the talent, you've got all these gamers, but on the other end, you've got to have these different types of opportunities. So those scholarships, those tournaments, those events, those team openings, and the arena offering, those arena tournaments you are just mentioning, Women of the Arena, Arena Warzone. Uh, we did one called the Co-Ed Cup a few weeks ago. 
those are essentially our way of, of building more opportunities for the gaming community to be involved. So we really wanted to spin up properties that were, were showcasing and, and providing opportunity for underrepresented communities women and gaming as, as one of those. So providing prize pools that are of greater um, value or equal value to those that males are receiving, provide a place and platform for discoverability. So it's been something that's been really cool. Community has received it very well and it's been a ton of fun to do them. That's super cool. So what I want you to do is take me back as I say this respectfully, talking to somebody who started high school after I graduated from college and I even went back to college late. First of all, stop wrecking the curve. But secondly, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've only been, I think you graduated from college was about three years ago, right? And, and eFuse, you know, according to your LinkedIn has been in existence about that length of time as well. Yeah. Take me back to where you first recognized a need for this platform. Yeah, so I, I think it's twofold. So one is I grew up playing video games. So I, I graduated high school in 2016, graduated college in, in late 20 or early 2019. I think it was early 2019, spring of 2019. And two experiences kind of shaped the foundation for EFU. So the first is growing up playing video games. For me, it was one of those things that was much more casual. After traditional sports, I was going online, playing MW2 with my buddies. It was much more of a, a casual thing, but a community thing. Uh, mm. And it wasn't until I went to OU is where I had a second experience that I essentially took an entire semester of my undergrad uh, program and, and conducted research on the esports and gaming industry. And that was the first time that I had an opportunity to really put a lens on the business aspect of gaming and esports. And it was from that paired with the knowledge of, of how me and my friends grew up playing video games on the community side, paired with the business knowledge of hey, this industry is growing. Hey, there are more opportunities being avail becoming available. Hey, there's more money being dumped into it from an advertisement standpoint. Those two kind of competencies coming together and me saying, okay, hey, I'm a gamer. I have other friends that love gaming and are passionate about it, but we have no idea how to take this from a passion to a profession, whether mm. that be playing competitively or whether that be getting a job. On either side of those spectrums, we have no idea where to start. So that's really where eFuse was birthed is, hey, let's, let's create a place where it's very clear to have that path to pro, whether again, it be the gaming side, the professional side, the actual playing side, or it be the job side. Let's create that path to pro and uh, make it really seamless for you as a gamer to go through that. That's amazing. So what I'm really interested in about you, and I'm very impressed, is you clearly have this approach where you say, hey, something needs to be done. I'm going to do it myself. Does that come from your upbringing or is there, you know, are your parents entrepreneurs? Where does that come from? Yeah, so I actually grew up in a family family of lawyers. Uh, so they are not very entrepreneurial by spirit. They're very by the book and, and it's, okay. it's black and white to them. So some lawyers close by, of course. <laughs> right. You never know. But and even gaming growing up for I mean, they it's not something that they thought a lot about. It was something we did as kids, right? But they didn't really have any idea of what it could be. So it wasn't something that I grew up around and being an entrepreneur wasn't something that my family necessarily did, but it was always something that I felt drawn to and aspired to be. I always wanted to build something mm. of my own and, and really from whatever I built, have impact into a community. And by no means did I think it would be the gaming community. But yeah. it was it was when I went to school and had that, that kind of eye-opening experience of of this research when I first said, okay, maybe this could be the, the way that I can have a, a meaningful impact and, and build a business around it. So fast forward after graduating from OU, I, I spent a year working at a venture capital firm. And for mm. those not familiar, I mean, venture capital is basically, I, I, I describe it as a slow down shark tank. Okay. Um, it's a good way so, to put it. 
right. I mean, we're investing in seed and series A stage companies, but I get to see a lot of different types of entrepreneurs, a lot of different types of companies. And it was from that experience, plus this idea that I had that I finally said, you know what, I'm young. I, I have an ambition to do this. Let's take the leap of faith and, and try it out. And in August of 2018, jump ship to, to found eFuse and, and start building the thing. Cool. So did you actually live your venture capital job to start eFuse or did you do some of it while you were still at the firm? I did some of it while I was still at the firm. So I had started playing around. I was, it was like this really tight window of graduating college, joining Ohio Innovation Fund, which was the firm and starting eFuse. I mean, it was like a six month window where yeah. there was some overlap between the three. And it was really the experience of the venture capital firm that I think gave me the confidence to be able to go out and raise money, be able to go out and build a team and really try to build a product. So yeah, it was, it was something that overlapped, but it was something that I think was really necessary in, in my development and my courage to jump ship and, and try it. Yeah. I, I've recently jumped to starting my own company during COVID and actually what was That's such scary. Well, what was such a great blessing was that I had been furloughed by the company that I was working with PRG. Yeah. I'm working with them again now, which I love. But the point here is that like during COVID, when I was trying to figure out, should I try this? I was like, I think I have at least three months, maybe six months to try where I may not be employed regardless, right? Like, you know, I could try and do this or I could sit on my hands and do nothing and still be unemployed and not make any money. But it sounds like you here at some point, you had to make a decision. Okay, I'm going to leave this reliable reoccurring revenue, the paycheck every two weeks. I'm jumping this thing I believe in. Talk a little bit about that. Or do you have any advice for um, the audience when it comes to making that decision? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I feel really fortunate in the fact that I actually, I really enjoyed that job. I enjoyed being in the venture capital world. I was learning a ton. It was very fast paced. I was doing a lot of different things, which is very similar to the entrepreneurial journey. I'm touching all kinds of different parts of the business every single day. But I think what ultimately pushed me over the edge is I always had that itch and, and I felt like a passion to build my own thing. So if I didn't scratch it now, I might not ever scratch it. So I'm going to take the leap of faith now. But then the other thing was, I had felt like I had gotten a taste of a lot of different parts of, of business through the venture capital scene. Mm. Again, I was touching all kinds of different, I was talk, touching med tech companies. I was tech, touching FinTech. I was touching physical products and CPG. So I got a really good grasp and, and taste of a bunch of different markets. Yeah. And to be able to say, I don't want to do healthcare. I don't want to do CPG. <laughs> I really like this tech thing and I'm passionate about gaming. Again, let's take the leap of faith. It was kind of that culmination of experiences of tasting and having the itch that ultimately said, you know what, let's do it. And I think looking back on it, it was really scary. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. And <laughs> the great scuba thing is like, look back, the things I didn't know, it's kind of crazy to think that we're to the place we are now. I don't know how we made it, but right. uh, it's, it's a journey that I'm, I'm really grateful for. And I would encourage anybody, if you have that itch, take the leap of faith and it's learned by fire. You're not going to know everything. I still don't know everything. I'm learning every single day. It's just about stepping and learning and, and iterating. What I learned recently was, I think the scariest thing is before you jump, actually. It's like, oh, can I do this? What do I do? And it's like jumping into a pool of cold water. Like when you're thinking mm -hmm. about it, it's terrifying. Now when you jump in, sure, there's going to be a little bit of shock, of course. Yeah. But then you're in the water. Then you just start swimming, right? And you, you, you start being reminded of, wait, I do know how to do these things. I know me personally, I gravitate towards the things I am experienced in or do mm -hmm. well, like marketing my own business, I'm good at because I've done that for other companies, making sure all my 
finances are aligned. Eh, need a little help with that because I've never done that for another company sort of a thing. I can relate to you from the standpoint you said, okay, I was working with these companies and I said, I don't want to do that. I had that experience with the tax firm many years ago. Mm. But what it did show me was that an office job could be a positive experience that encouraged me to go back to school and pursue business in marketing, which I did want to work in. Talk a little bit about the people you work with and building a team. The reason I love to hear this feedback from you is obviously you built this from just your idea, right? With friends and now a, a much bigger team. What I learned at that tax firm, tax firm specifically was it's not even so much what you do, but who you're doing it with. So how have you found that you've been able to successfully build a great team around you? Yeah, I think there's there's really three factors that I look back on and, and were crucial in understanding and building the team we have today. I think the first thing is recognizing who you are and what your skills are. Hmm. I can't, I'm not an engineer by trade. I can't build software, yeah. but we run a software company. So I have to have a really strong counterpart or counterparts to help build this product. So early on, my co-founder is a guy by the name of Austin May. We both grew up in Southern Ohio. And uh, he became a good friend and he was passionate about gaming. He was actually better than I was competitively. Yeah. And he was a software engineer. So we were the first two that kind of took the leap of faith together to found eFuse. But then at some point along the way, he's, he's a young guy too. He said, hey, I, I don't feel competent enough to be a true CTO. We need to go hire somebody and bring somebody in that I can learn from. So him having Smart. that self-awareness is in that humility to say, hey, I need help was crucial. So we went and hired a CTO who was a director at Facebook and then Netflix. And now he is running our, all of our technology. So wow. a really strong candidate that was crucial in our success early on. I can say that about all the different units we have. The other thing I think is somebody that is willing to go through the ups and downs and willing to stay we before I and startup world, especially mm. it's, it's peaks and valleys. It's the highest highs and the lowest <laughs> lows. Sure is. And you've got to find people that you're ready to, to ride with all on both sides of things Um, and people that you're going to have arguments with, you're going to be really mad at one day. And then the next day you got to get over it and move on and vice versa. You're going to be super happy with them one day and not so happy the next. So finding the people you can ride the waves with is important. And then the last thing too, I think is understanding the stage in the business, specifically in the startup world, the people that take you from zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to a hundred are very different types of people. Some of people will scale all the way through, but some people are really good at starting something. They're not good at scaling it. Some of them are good in the middle ground, but they're not good on the first part. So just understanding people's different skill sets and passions, I think has been really crucial. And what I've seen over the last six months, especially we did a really good job of going zero to one. We had a great team of six that built the the first version of eFuse. And now we're in that one to 10 phase and we've got to hire people that can help us continue to go to that next level. So Mm. Uh, just another learning lesson in the last couple of months we've, we've realized. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty strategic understanding who to hire when, and it, you know, it sounds like the CTO of yours has some tremendous experience. What's like, what is it like being a young guy, you and your friend, and you're looking to hire somebody at that level? Did you get some eye rolls or did you have enough capital that you're able to say, Hey, we'll make it worth your while or what was that like reaching out to people who are seasoned when you guys are basically kids from their perspective? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know why he did it. I look it back. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure his wife would say the same thing, but thankfully it's all worked out. And the way it sort of came about is I was just meeting with different people in the Columbus ecosystem, which is where we're based Columbus, Ohio, yeah. primarily venture capitalists and saying, Hey, 
we've raised a little bit of, we, at that point we had raised a million dollars and we had an MVP of EFUs, but we hadn't launched the platform and we were still building it to be ready to launch. Yeah. Uh, but we had enough money where we could go and hire somebody and pay him a reasonable salary. And I had met with a venture capitalist here and he had said the night before I met with him for coffee and the night before he had just had drinks with Shuff, our CTO yeah. and said, Hey, this guy's moving back. You should meet him. So the following day I get coffee with Shuff and at the time Austin and I are working out of a warehouse in the middle of, of Whitehall, which is <laughs> not the best place. And, yes. uh, long story short, I, I convinced Shuff of, Hey, here's the dream. Here's where we want to go. This is your opportunity to come and make an, a real impact. Yeah. You're having fun at Facebook and Netflix. You're doing a great job there. You're getting paid well, but if you really want to have a legacy and have impact, this is the place for you to do it. Mm. And that let made him believe the high paying job to come take a risk on a startup that if successful will have a high reward both financially and from an impact standpoint, but it's been a great journey and shelf has been incredible, but it was again, looking back, I don't know why he did it, but thankfully it's worked out. Yeah. You know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your experience raising capital and some of your uh, advice that you give people, but you, you gave me a word there that I want to focus on for a minute, which is legacy. Is legacy something that you think a lot about? Yeah, it is. I would say it is. I mean, money comes and goes. I think, what am I, what am I going to be known for? And really what is the value I add to the world is really how I judge myself. And I think mm. a lot of people in our company judge too. The number one pillar when you look at our company values is impact is the North star. So when we do everything we do, whether it be a feature we build an event we put on, what is the impact this is going to have in the community? Mm. And I think that focus has provided a lot of goodwill, but allowed us to really solve a need and provide value. So in the reaction, the interactions I have from a conversation standpoint, the features we build, all of it's oriented around how can we have the most impact, which ultimately fuels what our legacy, my legacy and what our company's legacy will be when we're said and done. Yeah, I started thinking about legacy this year, actually, working with a coach who's tremendous. And she really helped me shift my perspective on that. And one thing about it, you're very unique that you're, you're kind of an old soul, I'd say, right? You're kind of experienced or wise beyond your years, I'm sure a lot of people would say. But one thing about a legacy takes a while to build. So you need to start thinking about that when you're very young. What advice would you give people your age or younger on pursuing their legacy, or I should say building their legacy? Yeah, I think just realize that everything you say and do, whether it be posting on social media, whether it be a conversation you have with a stranger on the street, or whether it be in the public eye and a newspaper, all of those things go towards your legacy. And I think the main thing that, that I try to think about is you can't think about the conversations you have as transactions. It can't be transactional. They have to be relationship oriented and they have to be authentic. So every conversation should be relationship first, not transaction first. And I think mm. that's a crucial step in building a legacy of value and a legacy of impact is just treating people the right way and going into a conversation, understand that you're trying to build a relationship, not trying to get something from that person. I think not only is that a great way to approach legacy, it's a great way to approach business, right? And I think what we see from a marketing standpoint, I talked to a lot of people about partnerships and engaging the, the esports community. And, you know, you have to have a community first approach. Another mm -hmm. thing that I've learned the last few years is how to build a great network. And what I've recognized is when you help others before you ask them to help you, you're going to get that help in return. People are in your network because you add value to them, right? It's not because they add value to you. So 
I don't know. Talk a little bit about that where, you know, this community first approach where you've seen benefits in thinking of others before yourself beyond the legacy that you just mentioned. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you two examples. One is with uh, our internal team. So we have an individual we hired named Daniel Intruder, who's now a partnerships coordinator for us. But Daniel didn't come to the table and ask for a job right away. What Daniel did is said, hey, not everybody can do this, but every, he came to the table and said, hey, let me come work for you for two weeks. And if I'm not worth it, you can fire me. I won't ever come back, but I'll do work for two weeks for free. So we said, okay, cool. This, we're young. We're a young startup. We'll take as much work as we can get, right? So Daniel, come on in. So Daniel comes in and absolutely crushes it and added a bunch of value to us. We're like, okay, we can't lose this guy. Like, we need to make sure he stays on. So we ended up hiring him full time. Wow. Now Daniel is doing a great job with the company, but I think that's a great showcase of adding value first. And that's an extreme example, but right. one that I think paid off for him personally and has paid off for the business tremendously as well. Another one more oriented towards kind of the, the product and the platform or just the business more broadly is a feature set where we're going to be releasing here soon called the pipeline. So yeah. the pipeline is this whole idea of how can we create a recruitment database for uh, colleges to essentially find the next best up and coming talent. So think like huddle or be recruited for traditional sports, but okay. for gaming. And the way we've gone about doing this is we've, we've gone to the schools and say, Hey, we're not going to charge you a dime to use a service. All we want to do is get these kids discovered who mm -hmm. want to play at your university and we're going to give it to you for free. And that value has, has created a lot of goodwill. And, and now we're learning to partner, partner with them outside of just the pipeline offering. We're partnering with them on recruitment combines. We're partnering with them on events. We're partnering with them on other feature sets. And it's one way that we've added value to them early on that they've now doubled down and helped us in other regards too. That's really neat. Going back to your point about Daniel, it's maybe it's a coincidence or maybe it's not. When I talk to young people who are looking to get into the industry all the time, I say volunteer. You know, like you go to any event anything involved with esports, people need help. And you might be taking tickets at the door. You might be getting water bottles for the production team, but there's a few things that are going to happen. Number one, you're going to see what the job actually entails, right? You're going to say, oh, th this happened with me with marketing. Actually, I got a marketing degree, super fascinated about strategy and advertising and commercials and all this stuff. Years later, I got a marketing job and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a lot of spreadsheets. Like we're doing something. I'm not even doing the creative part. And now I just have to keep track of all this stuff and report back. And uh, I was like, you know what? I want to do business development is what I discovered. Yeah. Well, the other thing is you're going to build relationships and business comes all down to relationships. Like we've talked a lot about in this episode already. But the other thing too is you're going to, Find out about jobs that you didn't even know existed. I always use the example of social media manager where it's like, hey, yes, you can be on Twitter all day. Commenting and liking and interacting with people, that is an actual job. Would you say that volunteering is your recommendation to get in the industry or for young people listening? Are there other ways as well that you would recommend to get their foot in the door? Yeah, I think it goes back to your earlier point of just find a way to add value. So maybe it is volunteering. Maybe it's going and working in, in, in an event. And you never know who's who's watching. If it's maybe you're taking out the trash, the CEO might be watching and saying, oh man, that person's really working hard. Maybe we should sure. talk to them. So things like that, I think are really important. But also uh, there's other ways to add value. Maybe it's sending a handwritten note with a, a thank you for an event that somebody put on, or it's 
doing a graphic, if you're a graphic designer, doing a graphic for the company and sending it ahead of time just to say, hey, here's, here's what I'm capable of doing. Sure. You feel free to use it. Things like that and, and finding ways to add value, I think, are the most important. And you never know whether it be building your network for a future relationship, whether it be getting discovered for a job, or whether it be simply just having a learning experience of what you like and don't like. All three of those things can happen by you just adding value first. Yeah, and I think any pushback or critique of that is typically that people don't want to get taken advantage of. They, oh, I want to get paid for my time. Or I know in the design world is very much like, oh, I'm not going to do free work because then you know people aren't going to value me. But what I would say, that might be a concern for people further down the road in their careers. But number one, when you're young, it's investment in yourself and your future. And secondly, I would say that you're, you're never going to waste your time or energy investing in other people and investing time spending with other people. Well, I want to take you back to the raising capital part because you guys, you recently announced a $6 million uh, investment, I believe. Am I accurate in that number? Yeah. 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 Congratulations, first Thank of you. all. And, you know, love seeing the all the headlines and like, you know, knowing a few of the guys who are on your team, I'm, I'm super hyped to see you guys being successful. You mentioned early on, you, you raised about $1 million and then now you've raised another 6 million. What were the challenges with that? The first one compared to the second one. And then I'll, I have a couple more questions after that. Yeah. They, they're two very different fundraisers in the sense that, and if the first fundraise, it's very oriented towards the dream what are we going to be able to accomplish? Here's what I think. If you give me money, if you trust me and you trust my co-founder, hmm. here's what we think we can be delivered for you. So it's very pie in the sky and it's really them betting on, on the jockey at the end of the day. With that, it's almost easier to some extent because you build enough relationships, you build enough trust with people. They're going to take a leap on you, especially if it's your first business. Everybody wants to, 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 fight with the underdog in many regards. So yeah. that first raise was really helpful in, in allowing us to have a shot. We had a, a seat at the table, if you will. But then the second fundraise is all about, okay, you said you were going to do this. Did you do it? And if you didn't, that doesn't look good. And if you did, great. And if you exceeded it, even better. So thankfully, we were able to exceed the expectations we set forth. But I think a couple key learning lessons for any young entrepreneur. One is the numbers you set forth in your first deck or that what you in your first fundraise, if you're fortunate to get past that, you're going to be held accountable to them. Um, mm. So make sure that you're, you're not just going too far high in the sky. It's a, it's a middle ground of, of hope, but also reality and making sure that you're able to hit the numbers that you set forth. doesn't mean it's going to make or break you either way, but the closer you can get it, the, the more you can exceed those, obviously the better. And the second thing is I think you need to understand that, you want to build relationships before you actually have to ask for money. So there are people that invested in our last round of fundraising, which we announced on February of this of 2021. Yeah. I started building those relationships in August of 2020. Okay. So that's a six month window of, of maybe a little bit more. My math might be off, but of time where I'm just spending time building relationships with those people that I'm hoping to make another investment in eFuse. And yeah, we had to prove it, but go ahead. What does that look like? So, you know, I could see if you, if you were doing it the wrong way, which is what's going through my mind is like, you're trying to build these relationships secretly, like I'm going to ask these dudes for money, but you clearly did it successfully. What what does that look like to, to go to something and build that relationship and then later say, we'd like to, I'd like to bring you in on this opportunity? Yeah. So I think when, when I look at the total, so we have about 15 investors on the cap table today. 
okay. uh, across our first couple of rounds, but I've talked to 215 people right. total from an investment totally. standpoint. But every single one of those 215 people that I went to the table with, I authentically went there and whether they were going to put money in or not, I, I made a point to, I'm going to build a relationship with this person so they can call me up or I can text them on, on New Year's Eve, wish them a happy new year. Like I, those are the types of relationships I want to build. So it's, it's follow up, it's going in with authentic conversations. And then from the, so that's the first two pieces, just the people at the end of the day. So build mm. a relationship with the people. But then the other piece is give them consistent updates on the business. So I didn't ask him for money the first time I met him. I didn't ask him for money the first six months I knew him. Uh, I sent him updates on the business to say, hey, here's the growth we're having. Or in many cases, here are the problems we're having. Can you help? And that mm. authenticity of showcasing who we are as a business and what we are, I am as an entrepreneur, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you the good and the bad. Uh, and you're going to see that the business overall is growing. So that, that trust, that relationship and that progress all kind of compounded to say six months later, I know you, I believe in you. I want to invest in you. That's kind of how it compounded and came together. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah. And I love the the thought too, pointing out it's a numbers game at the end of the day as well. Right. Like, and this is true with all sales, but yeah, yeah. If, if you need investment, boy, you better hit the books, right? You better call everybody, you know, another thing that some, a friend of mine who was raising capital not too long ago was sharing with me is when you are approaching these investors, it's not like you're begging for money. You're providing them with an opportunity that obviously if executed well is going to provide a return on their investment. It's, it's saying, Hey, I want to give you this opportunity. I want to bring you in. I want to help you make money in the thing that I'm doing. I just need a little bit of your help. Talk about a little bit about what that pitch looks like successfully along those lines. That's a great, great thought. I really like that a lot. And I think that resonates with me in the sense that uh, it, it's a lot of confidence and it's, and it's selling on, it's selling on the dream. And it's like, it's basically saying we're going to win with or without you. I'd love for you to be involved. That's yeah. how I think about it. If yeah. is going to win, we're going to make sure our team's going to work hard enough that we're going to figure it out no matter what problem comes ahead. But we'd love to have you a part of the journey and you can be a catalyst for us in that journey. So I think it's a confidence in what you're building and the team you've put together. Uh, but it's also, making sure you lay forward the, the plan of execution. So with your money, with your money coming in, you're going to be a catalyst for our business. And here's how I'm going to go execute. Boom, boom, boom. Here are the three pillars. And then proving that again over time. So there'll be another point in time where we're going to have to go raise more money sure. to keep growing the business and go to the next level. And it's going to be the same as the first fundraise or the second fundraise where it's, hey, did you execute on what you said you were going to execute on? Yeah. And, 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 and proving that out. So yeah, I think it's an era of confidence plus executing on, on what you've set forward. Yeah. And what is that balance too of continuing to raise capital, but also not giving away too much equity? One of the things that I'm a little bit concerned with, with esports teams is, you know, you see these headlines all the time. Oh, you raised another round. And people seem to celebrate these because I don't think there's a lot of education yeah. in our community around that stuff. And what yeah. goes through my head is you needed more money didn't you yeah, get you like raised. 20 million, like <laughs> yeah. not too long ago? And now you need another 40 or whatever the, yeah. the exact circumstances. But what does that balance look like on, you know, cause boy, it's great to have a ton of capital, but also you're going to give away your entire business, right? A hundred percent. So I, I think it's, it's twofold. One is I think the days, and this is more of like me putting my VC hat on for a second. Yeah. I think the days of raising 
$300 million without a dollar of revenue or very little revenue and valuing the business at a couple of billion or over. Those businesses are proving to either have a floor and falling out or they're just not working anymore. So the way we're thinking about it is we're going to build a business that can live with or without venture capital dollars. We're going to have the opportunity to take money if we want to. So we're building it as we're going to have enough revenue that we can support. If we didn't take another dime of venture capital money, we could support the business. And I'm really proud of that. So we're, we're sure. going to be a cash flow positive business by the end of the year. And, and that's pretty unique in the esports and gaming space. So right. uh, with that, the way venture capital can be in, in private equity can be a huge catalyst though for growth in the sense that you can pour gas on the fire. If you have a little bit of a flame and you pour $10 million on it, there's a lot you can do with $10 million, right? right. So it's knowing when to do that and making sure that you also think about the long-term game of you're going to have to, in, in a venture backed business, it's multiple raises, right? So you've got to be cognizant of how much you're giving away each round. So right. by the end of it, you're not giving away all of your company. So that's kind of a, a jumbled mess of my thoughts, but all of that together uh, kind of thinks of, brings together how we think about the fundraise. And it's a, it's a steady yet really concentrated and, and methodical way of, of pouring gas on the fire when needed, but also not taking on too much to give away too much of the business. Cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. I don't know anything about that. So that really <laughs> helps me. I'm over here taking notes. <laughs> One thing that I love that I saw from eFuse a while back, and I think this is what really put eFuse on my radar personally, was you guys have done a lot <clears throat> with some pillars in the esports industry, giving back to colleges. If I'm correct, I think you work with Sundance on providing a grant to a university. Talk a little bit about what you've done and what you're planning to do in that realm. Yeah. So I, I had mentioned we had, had raised that million dollars in the, the, the first fundraise, but from that, that first million dollars, we actually committed, excuse me, to putting up $200,000 of that to impact and giving back into the community. So yeah. Sundance's scholarship was one example of that. But last year we gave away $300,000 in total of prizing of opportunities of equipment through the eFuse platform. So we look at it as an investment back into the community that mm. we're serving. And you meant you'd made the point earlier, it's by gamers for gamers. Our hashtag is for the gamers. Right. Uh, trying to trademark it to that right now. I don't know if we'll get it, but we're trying to get it. Uh, but we always want to be for the gamers and have that impact first mindset. So even before we launched, we committed to that and we're going to continue to commit to that and giving away essentially opportunities in the form of equipment in the form of scholarships in the form of tournament prizing. Uh, and that's just something that we feel we feel tied to doing. That's awesome. And then with Sundance, obviously MLG has a close tie with Ohio, yeah. right? What was it like? Did you have a previous relationship with Sundance? I have a little bit of a friendship with him and I, I've, he's an amazing guy and I really enjoy the, the few times he can take time to have yeah. a conversation. But going to somebody of that significance in our industry, hey, I'm a kid, I'm trying to do this thing. Are you interested in being part of it? What was that like? Yeah, I cold emailed him. Oh. So we cold, cold emailed him and, and thankfully he took, I was actually, I was out and I think I was in LA. I was meeting with CAA for some of our influencer stuff. And, and he said, Hey, I've got five minutes. Can you hop on the phone? I was like, yeah, <laughs> cool. I'll hop on the phone. So I'm in the car, ended up calling and we have a great five minute conversation. ends up turning into like a 15, 20 minute conversation. Yeah. Have a great call. And then from that, we started thinking about the idea of a scholarship. And then even beyond that, he's now become an advisor to, to me and to EFUSE 
awesome. uh, in a formal way too. So I'm a firm believer that you have to have mentors. And to your point, I'm, I'm pretty young and I have a lot to learn. I've learned a ton over the last couple of years, but I still have plenty more. So it's been really important for us to surround ourselves with people that have the same values, but have also been there and done that. Sonny, Adam, Mike Sepso, I mean, they built an incredible business with MLG and obviously had great success. And they're in the process of building something even cooler, I think, with Vindex and an esports engine. And just to have their insight has been super, super valuable. That's incredible. What is it about Ohio and esports that's there's something in the <laughs> it's water? It's in the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in the water. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that, you know, people who don't know about MLG or about Columbus, Ohio, am I seeing this correctly? What, <laughs> what's going on there? So did, were you a fan of MLG growing up because you grew up in Ohio and yeah. that was one of the things that, that fueled you? It was something I, I didn't follow MLG super heavily, but I had started to follow some of the creators along the way. Like I was following Clayster and then I, when, when we first started really picking up the idea for eFuse, we had came back, I think it was, I want to say 2017, 2018, they had the uh, world championship here at Nationwide Arena for Call of Duty, Call yes. of Duty World Championship. Yeah. I went to that and it was my first in-person esports competition. And I, at that moment, I was just sold. I was like, this is how it should be done they get it at a high level and this is how every competition should be run. And, and I didn't get the chance to meet Adam at the time, but looking back, I had seen him running around and then Bob Morris. I don't know if you know Bob. I do know Bob. Yeah. He's an Ohio university Bobcat. So I had connected okay. with him and, and met up with him while I was there, but yeah, it was, it, it's, I just admired what they've been doing. And it was something that I just really only picked up over the last couple of years, but I just think they do it at such a high level and they treat people the right way. And, and they just do it at the elite standard that I really appreciate. I agree. What age was it that you attended that? I don't know how old I would have been. Probably 17, 18. Okay. 18, and were you just an attendee or did you, were you uh, volunteering? Just just You're just attendee. there watching. Yeah. 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 I must, I had to have been 18 or 19 because I had gotten, I had emailed Bob. I pulled my OU connection and said, Hey, can you give me tickets? He's like, yeah, I'll hook you up. You're a Bobcat. So he actually pulled me, took us backstage and walked us around. So Sick. got really great exposure, but yeah. That's incredible. So did you, were, are you a COD player or was it just that you had, there was the big event in town and you said, I'm a gamer. I don't really care what the game is. I want to go see it. I was a COD player. I wasn't any good. As I mentioned, I'm still not yeah. any good, but I, I mean, I play wars on Fortnite, Rocket League. I've been playing some Apex here recently, but I, that was the scene I had followed the most from kind of the, the influencer side of things, the team side of things. I think they do a really good job of building personalities from mm-hmm. that, from the league and and from the organization. So all of that kind of drawed me in. And then it was right here in my backyard. So I was like, Oh, I'm definitely going. And I found Bob on LinkedIn as a Bobcat and, and yeah. kind of all connect. I was like, okay, it's meant to be, I'm going. That's awesome. You, you mentioned a few different titles there. I'm curious with your experience at eFuse, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of what gamers are playing the games that are going up as far as, you know, player base viewership. You're obviously seeing, because you, you work with a lot of pro gamers as well, so you're seeing what they're playing and the way things are working. Do you have an outlook on what you think the future titles that are going to be successful, let's say, over the next five years are going to be? Yeah, I'm a big fan of, I think COD's not going anywhere anytime soon. I'm really excited to see what the CDL does. I'm a big believer in Joanna and what she's doing. Yeah, right I'm just really excited to see what that could I think it's already winning, and I think it's just going to continue to get better and better. So COD, I'm all in on. I think Valorant has a tremendous opportunity as well. There's a real excitement, and it's been sustained over the last year since it's been launched, right? Yeah. I'm excited to see that. And then the other one I'm really bullish on is uh, Rocket League. That's what I, I was really going to guess. 
Rocket League is 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 something that's going to be around. And I, and for the person who's not huge into esports yet, or maybe not even huge into gaming, it's a it's a title that just clicks. It's soccer with cars, right? Yeah. So in the collegiate scene, in the amateur scene, it's nonviolent. It clicks easy. Parents can watch it and not be completely bored. I think those are make a great opportunity for a great esports title long term. And I think it already is one. I agree. And the the other thing with Rocket League that I think is a little bit overlooked too is that it's they're timed games. So, you know, when you're, it's, you know, whoever wins the map, you know, five out of seven, whatever, uh, that could, that's an event that's going all day. And if you go to these Call of Duty World Leagues or now CDL events and things like this, like, you know, it's, you're planning to do maybe a six hour day and you do a 12 hour day because everything (laughs) went over. Yeah. And then when it comes to programming, you talk about partnerships and advertising and things like that, man, it's super hard to program sponsors around that but when you have something that's like okay we know it's going to end at this time this is your spot this is the activation etc that's something that's a little more overlooked probably by a lot of people but at the same time i think it's just as important as it being easy to understand and fun to play that's a great point. I didn't even think of that, about that, but I think that that's a, a huge aspect. And, and especially as we get non-endemic brand dollars continue to, to looking at the space and also pouring money in, like those things are going to be continually more and more important. Yeah. And I, I think too, when Epic acquired Psionics, that was another sign, right? Yeah. And then Nate from Overwatch League went over to Epic and it's like, yeah. okay, so you have some people with experience. The reason why I'm so bullish on Valorant, which I love is actually because it's done by Riot. And so when I first saw that they were announcing it and okay, they're, this is going to be an esports title, where my mind went the first time was, well, they've created the world's biggest esport title and they have 10 years of learnings doing yeah. this all over the globe. So you can, obviously there's going to be some things that are different, of course, but if a publisher today, lesser known or you know, developer creates their smash hit first one. Yeah. You've got a lot to figure out and a lot of missteps that can happen that can totally take down your game, especially when our community is so fickle, you could say. So I look at Valorant like great game. Obviously you have some CSGO and you have some Overwatch kind of overlap there as far as the gameplay, but the team can, you can just plug in that system of League of Legends, which has been so successful. Yeah, I think that they're committed, right? Like they, they they are going to make this an esport title and they've done, a, in my opinion, a really good job. And I think another thing that, that Riot does really well is they, they lean on third parties a decent amount. They let third party vendors come in and they they have a good process to vet those people to run events for them or be technology partners. And I think that that's super important. And it takes, you can't boil the ocean if you're a publisher. You can't True. do it all. Right. So I think selecting the right partners to be a part of that is, is going to be crucial for the long-term success. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, before I let you go here, I want to give you an opportunity to share some insights or some future casting, if you will. Tell us as much as you can, either something that you're looking forward to in the industry that you see as the future, or what can we expect from eFuse that we can look forward to? Yeah, I think the opportunity that we see is eFuse, and, and I think there's a plenty more opportunity just outside of what we're doing too. Is, and it kind of goes back to our last point here is the infrastructure around esports titles and the infrastructure around gaming more broadly. Things like creator tools, things like tools for recruitment, things for analysis of players. As publishers let people more and more in, 
And there's going to be more and more opportunity for infrastructure companies like ourselves to pop up and, and add a lot of value and be a catalyst towards the community growth. So we're really excited about that. Or we're going to be doubling down in particular is on the, the, the competitive esports side of things. And then also we're looking at the middle tier creators. How can we help them grow their audience, be discovered and, and access brand dollars? Those are kind of the two core competencies and core audiences that we're going to be looking at from the EP's perspective. And we're just really excited. I think the industry is, is on a really good really good path. And there's a lot of, of money being poured into it, which could be really dangerous, but also it's really exciting. I think we have the right people involved. Yeah, I think that's so important to have the right people involved, especially during a, what could be viewed as a gold rush, right? You have a bunch of people who are racing the space saying, oh, I made money in fantasy sports. I made money in yeah. the dot-com days. This <laughs> is the next one to just run in. And I, I think what is fortunate about our space, I call it a healthy skepticism which is first it's like, where have you been for the last 20 years? Like we've been <laughs> doing this and you're just now showing up. But what I love about our community is when people prove that they're there for the right reasons, they are welcomed. They are embraced. Yep. And that's true for brands, non-endemic brands who are coming in to sponsor. But I think it's also true for complementary experts who are older who are just learning about this space, but they have a lot to add with their experience because I, I would contend that the esports industry suffers from a lack of experience to a lot of young people running it. Yeah. I mean, you're a young people run, a young person running something major here and it sounds like you have a lot more than experience than somebody might expect, but there's a lot you don't know, right? And you've, 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 100%. you've, collaborated with people who are older than you and things like that. And so I think it, it helps our space when we take a little time to evaluate, Hey, is this the right person? Is this somebody yeah. we want to let in, but then letting them in learning and having knowledge sharing, going back and forth so that we all benefit as a result. And I look at somebody like Joanna as a perfect example, right? Coming from the NFL, yes. not having a whole lot of ties to, to gaming prior, but has come in has invested and has listened, which is crucial, taking yeah. the community's opinions and built something really special that's the ideal person coming in and adding value to the community. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for joining us on the DLC Drop podcast. I learned a lot. This is our first conversation, which is a little surprising, but I'm sure we'll have quite a few more. I really appreciate you sharing, you know, what eFuse is all about and a lot of insights on raising capital, how to build a great team and other things. So really appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. And I know our audience is going to appreciate this episode. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 